Our scripture reading this morning is John 17, verses 1 through 5. Let's listen together to God's holy and infallible word. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and he prayed, Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life. They may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. That's scripture reading for us this morning. Last week, of course, we started in this chapter, John 17, and we noticed what a special text this is. All over the place in the Gospels, we're told that Jesus prayed. But when it comes down to it, it's very rare to get much of what Jesus actually said. And here, this is a whole chapter's worth of Jesus' own praying. A lot of times, this is called the high priestly prayer because like the priests in the Old Testament, Jesus is praying for his people, interceding. Not in those verses we read, but from verse 6 to the end of the chapter that we'll start in next week. It's all prayers for his disciples, for his people down through the ages to today. But a better name for this prayer might be the real Lord's Prayer. We call it the real Lord's Prayer because what we call the Lord's Prayer is not really what Jesus prayed, right? That's an outline of what Jesus' disciples are to pray. But what we have here is Jesus' own prayer. And last week, we looked at these opening five verses. We saw the centrality of prayer in Jesus' life and mission. We saw the exaltation of God's glory in this prayer. And we saw how the glory of God is for our good through the completed work of Jesus. And and now we're going to see for a little bit this morning some of the details of how God's glory works itself out in Jesus and how that benefits all of us. One pastor points out that in verses 2 and 3, which are a couple verses we didn't dig into last week, but in verses 2 and 3 we find three gifts are given. Authority, you granted him authority, a people, and eternal life. Three gifts. Giving just the right gift for someone can be a real challenge. You know who are notoriously difficult to get just the right gifts for? Dads, right? I'm not sure why that is. I think a lot of the times it is because If there's something a dad wants, a lot of times he'll just go out and get it. So it's probably his own fault that there's nothing left for the kids to get but a goofy tie for his birthday. And his wife is like, if you just had been a little more patient, that would have been a perfect gift for your birthday or for Christmas. Sometimes you take a risk on a gift for someone that's tough to give for, and it can be great or you can totally bomb Sarah once found something for my dad, this was a few Christmases ago, that we both thought was awesome. 
It was called, the, she found it on Amazon, The Prisoner's Cookbook. I think that was the name of it, something like that. The Prisoner's Cookbook. My dad heads up Crossroad Bible Institute. That's, that's for people in prison. Um, and, and this, so we thought it was perfect. It was all sorts of recipes that people in prison could do with sort of limited ingredients. And we thought, given what he does, that's kind of cool. And, and he opened this present up and he was kind of like, huh. And then, believe it or not, he said something like, I really don't do much cooking. And we were like, oh my goodness. But that is how hard it can be to find just the right gift for someone. As much as we might struggle with it, especially with certain people in our lives, the Father, our Father in heaven, gave the Son just the right gifts, the perfect ones for Him, all authority and a people, And then he gave him the gift of eternal life that Jesus then gives to us. All of these three gifts benefit us. They are for God's glory, yes. First of all, they are for God's glory. We talked about that a lot last week. And it's all about him. And these gifts are for our good too. These gifts were won for us through the work of Jesus that we're celebrating in a little while in communion today. The first gift, I want to talk about each one for just a little bit. The first gift to us is the reign of Jesus Christ in our lives. The reign of Jesus. He reigns because God gave him authority over all people. We read that here at the Great Commission in Matthew 28 before he ascends. Jesus says, all authority on heaven and on earth, has been given to me. Jesus assumed human flesh, became man. He laid aside an aspect of his glory. We talked about it last week. After the cross, he'd be glorified fully again, exalted to the right hand of God the Father Almighty as we profess in the creed. And that's another way of describing and talking about his power and his authority and his reign. He is seated at the right hand of God in glory. Quite recently, there was a pastor who was meeting with a couple, a young couple who wanted to join the church. And as a way to talk about the faith and and what it's all about, uh, the pastor gave them a copy of question and answer one of the Heidelberg Catechism. And, and they, they read that together because it's a wonderful summary of the faith. What is your only comfort in life and in death that I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ? He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Because I belong to him, Christ by his Holy Spirit assures me of eternal life and he makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. The pastor asked this couple, to, to point out or share anything that maybe struck them or that they found meaningful. <clears throat> and you've got to know, first of all, this couple, 
has been through some tough times in their life, some struggles. Life's been hard. And then one of them pointed out this phrase. This is what was meaningful to them. He has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He has set me free. And then that pastor and couple talked about how as there are cruel tyrants who rule nations and different groups of people in our world, Satan is a tyrant who wants to rule this world and he wants to rule your life. And on our own, we are under his thumb. We're oppressed under the devil's tyrannical reign. But because Jesus was given all authority, he can set us free. Because of Jesus and the grace of God, we can move from the reign of the evil one, which every man, woman, and child is born into, and we can move into the arms of another loving authority. And that doesn't mean that Satan doesn't try to have influence in our lives. He tries to tempt us. He wants to mess you up. But he is not in charge of your life anymore. Jesus is. Jesus reigns. When you think of tyranny, it makes you think of this terrorist group and and, and what they've been doing in Iraq and in that region. Just terrible evil. We can't even believe it. How do you reconcile that with Jesus' reign? There are no easy answers, but this much is clear. All throughout history, there has been opposition to the reign of our God. All throughout history, people have chosen evil over the right. And in that sense, there is nothing new in what we're seeing and reading in the news today. It's always been this way. People want to do their own thing. People want to be their own authority. Thumb their noses at God and Jesus. And the results are always tragic. God's Word invites us to leave evil behind. And the comfort in life is that we can live under the reign of Jesus and that we're not our own, but His. One day, Jesus will return and every knee will bow. And and the question for us on planet Earth is, will we at that time be bowing willingly or not? We're called to acknowledge His reign, live under it now before it's too late. And when He comes again, those enemies of Him and the kingdom of God and the people of God will be thrown into everlasting darkness. But that invitation to put our lives under Jesus' perfect authority, it's there for members of terrorist groups. That invitation is for people in Israel and the Gaza Strip. That invitation is there for you and for me too. We can work for another kingdom. We can answer to a different boss. We can bow to the only rightful king of this world and all people. There's also, besides the gift of Jesus' reign and authority, there's this gift of a people of God. Verse 2 talks about God giving eternal life to all those God gave Jesus. All those are His people. Jesus came to earth. He suffered. He died a cruel death for his people. 
we get the impression in the Bible that these people, us, this was a very satisfying gift for Jesus. Isaiah 53 talks about Jesus going to the cross. We read there that he would be satisfied knowing his suffering would make us save. He was satisfied in that. He got satisfaction in going to the cross for his people. Hebrews 12, 2. Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. For the joy set before him. In this prayer in chapter 17, Jesus is headed to the cross. It's on his mind as he goes there. And as the cross is on his mind, he talks about his people seven different times in one way or the other. In verse 2, 6, 9, 11, 12, 14 of this chapter. And one pastor said about that, it's maybe like, like you know when you're headed into something that's really difficult? I don't know. It could be a a certain a, a test, maybe an MRI or a CAT scan. Maybe it's heading into a, a surgery. Maybe it's, it's into a new job situation, starting high school, starting middle school, starting school period. You, you know, you kind of psych yourself up for something that's going to be difficult. It's, I can do this. I can do this. It's going to be okay. The idea of the people Jesus was dying for must have been comforting to him as he faced the cross because that's what he kept repeating. My people, the ones I'm doing this for, my people. So the gift of a people that he was going to save from sin, our God, you know, had his people in mind from before the creation of the world. It's for his people. That God designed the sweep of history. It's why he sent Jesus. In a very real sense, Jesus had you and me on his mind when he went to the cross and as he died on the cross. All who believe in Jesus are part of this people. And he had you in mind too from before the foundations of the world were established on the cross. And if he had you in mind back then, you can be sure that he has his eye on you today too. Something to think about, if, if Jesus loved his people so much and he found them so precious and it was so satisfying to him to go to the cross to save us from our sin, how do you think You and I should look at the people of God and treat the people of God and and think about the church. You know, sometimes sometimes we can let ourselves slip and, and be, I don't know, maybe a little bit harsh in in talking about our church or the church. We don't do that here, so not our church, people in general sometimes. But people can be, you know, how, how do you talk about the church and the people of the church and, and, and what uh, people are, are doing in the church and how they're leading the church? Boy, we better be careful. 
Jesus died for his church. Jesus died for his people. Jesus calls the church his bride. We must treat her with respect. We talk about her with love. We see her as precious. We use tender language. And and this gift of a people for Jesus, this is God's gift to you too. The church is a precious place for you to belong to and to be received in and to grow in. And it's for you to love and serve others and find fulfillment and joy in that service. I think we were totally stunned. It seems like the world was stunned with Robin Williams' death this past week. That actor, 50 plus movies. We're reminded again that we're in a world of despair. People struggle. Not just famous people either. A lot of people. The community of believers is more important than ever in our world today. We worship our God here, yes. And we also, we're supporting one another. We're loving each other. We are there for one another in time of need. We're looking out for one another as we're in need. And we're reaching out. We're doing something about it. And that can make all the difference as you walk this road of life. And I've got to say, friends, I need the church. I need you. And I'm not just talking as a pastor. I'm talking as a man and as a husband and as a father who's trying to provide for his family. I'm trying to give spiritual leadership. I can't do it on my own. It's such a blessing to be gathered here and lifted up in worship Sunday after Sunday. I've so enjoyed sitting around the table with other men in this new men's Bible study this past summer. So encouraging. And there are so many other ways to be long and to be a part and to be supported and and to support others and to be blessed by that. So may, may you be a part of God's people, even God's people right here at Faith and experience satisfaction of being one of the people Jesus died for and loves so much and have the blessing of being around other people who Jesus died for. We aren't perfect. Not one of us. But Jesus loves us. And we love one another. And every one of us is precious. We belong here. We've got a place There's one more gift here. We read about the gift of eternal life. It's interesting. It's defined as a knowledge, eternal life, that is that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you sent. So having life and having eternal life, it involves us knowing our God. The Gospel of John is always bringing us to this eternal life. He wrote the whole book we read at the end that people would believe in Jesus and have life in Him. 
And John 3.16, the most well-known verse in all the Bible, is here. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. John 10.10, I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. As complicated and confusing as this world can be, as much as a struggle it can be sometimes, even just day by day to live and make choices for yourself, for your loved ones, thinking about your future, misunderstandings and struggles in relationships, we've made mistakes, people around us have messed up. But in the end, it's not so complicated. John shows us that in life there is darkness and there is light. There is death and there is life. There's the kingdom of Satan and there's the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. And you can receive life and walk the road of life with heaven as the end destination and enjoy walking in the light on the way. You can't earn this life. You can't buy it. It's a gift. Our catechism says, how do I get right with God? In other words, how do I get out of the darkness and into the light and have life? It says this, all I need to do is accept this gift of God with a believing heart. That's all you need to do. It's free. You just accept it. The gift that the Father gave Jesus to give to us, this gift of eternal life, that is the most important thing we have to offer as a church. It's what it's all about. We offer the gift. We live that life together and we grow in it. Brothers and sisters, may you receive the gifts of our God this morning. The reign of Jesus over your life, the people of God where you may belong, and especially eternal life. In the Lord's Supper, may we celebrate the gifts of God in Jesus. And may we all be assured they are ours today all the days of our life, whatever God has in store for us, and forever in glory. Amen.